Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Jazz Mostert, and you're listening it to is, look, it's Inside great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulb, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. You know, I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead, you could say. It's just it's, they're just... There's, <laughs> Good racing, and I enjoy it. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. This week on Inside Supercars, we hear from General Manager of Supercars, Matt Braid, and find out how they're preparing for Simona de Silvestrin's arrival. She'll mix up with the guys. It'll, it'll create another dimension which we haven't seen for a long period of time. We get the lowdown from Charlie Swerkholt on his team's first year in operation. We get the keys to the factory on January the 3rd and we can start moving, setting it up and make a, uh, a statement as well for all our partners. And we have an extended interview with Stephen Chopping about being a steward in Australian motorsport. I hope you'll stay with us for all that and more here on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do, um, take the win off him. So, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Rapsdale family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. We kick it all off with the general manager of Supercars, Matt Braid. Matt Braid, final race in Sydney. What's the legacy of the Homebush Olympic Park track going to be? I think, Craig, it's, it's an interesting question. I think it's been, it's been a big event, you know, and I think we the last years of the event, everyone looks at it and goes, well, it's, it's coming to an end, unfortunately, but you look at what the event has produced over the years, how many championships have been decided here, and it always brings something to the fans attending or the fans watching. So I think you know, it'll be... It'll be, it'll be sad to see it go, and I think people will miss it when, they, you know, when we do look back in time and go, hey, what was produced at that event? But what's its legacy in the story of supercars? Oh, I think the fact, it's been, it's been, the, it's been a, one of our better, stronger final rounds for a long period of time, so it'll, it'll, be, it'll be sorely missed. But it has cost supercars a lot of money to put on because you've underwritten this event, unlike some of the street circuits that you go to, where it's really the government that's the promoter of that event. I think outside of Clipsal, all the other street events, we actually are the promoter, so we, we underwrite all of them, um, and that's no different for Homebush. I think Homebush in the, in the last couple of years has been difficult to attract fans out um, you know, from a point of view of maybe the venue, and but certainly the action's been strong enough to, to pull it. We've had a couple of weather incidents too, which has obviously dampened things, but you know, it's it's uh, like all events, there comes a time where it, it serves its purpose, it serves its time, and, and, and again, you look for other opportunities, and from a point of view of the, the people of New South Wales, Newcastle is, is, the, is the future and, and uh, as a next big, next big thing it'll be a big and massive event next year Within a week of us finishing here at Olympic Park time rolls on and you make the final announcement of dates and track layout at Newcastle what do you think you're going to be able to take over there is it more a Townsville experience than what you had here at Sydney? Probably, I think from a you, know, you look at Homebush is obviously in the centre it's, it's utilising a, a, a already 
free down infrastructure. Newcastle's no different, but the topography of Newcastle I think is quite different. It's, uh, from a street circuit perspective, the elevation changes in, in the Newcastle precinct will, will add another dimension that we haven't seen to maybe some of the other street circuits we've been participating at. And from a crowd point of view, it, it could be something between a, a Townsville and a Gold Coast. You know, certainly the, it's going to have it's going to be very picturesque. You know, with the beach, the beach and water on either side, um, a great layout for a circuit, and a massive, interested, passionate fan base, which will pull into Newcastle from you know, Sydney through to the Hunter, you know, up to the Hunter region and beyond. Will come to the event, so it has the hallmarks of being a massive, massive event on our calendar. Which now leaves Sydney Motorsport Park as the flagship for the largest city on the Supercar Championship calendar. How do you now focus in on making that event the premium event that Sydney Siders and the region can come to and know, you know, this is now the Sydney event? Yeah, well, uh, Sydney Motorsport Park's a great facility. Uh, we know that. It's a great track. It always, again, like, thankfully, always produces some great action there for us as well. So I think for us it's, it is looking at that event, how we can actually, uh, you know, always looking at how we can improve it. Um, certainly there's scope there from a point of view of support categories, um, some fan activations we can do there to really sort of showcase that this is, that is going to be the Sydney round, the Sydney round, from next year onwards. As Managing Director of Supercars Australia, what's the state of the nation? How do you sum up where supercars is at this snapshot in time, the end of 2016? Look, it might sound like a cliche, but the sport has never been better. You know, So we've got new naming rights partner announced this year. We've got new, new obviously, race contracts and renewed contracts with various governments around the country. We've got a solid calendar. We've got the, the racing coming down to the final round again, um, you know, 15 different winners throughout the season. So we do have the best touring car category in the world, without a doubt. And the championship's been very solid, and from a business point of view, it's been a very successful year for the, the for the supercars, and obviously that shores up the sport uh, for our stakeholders, particularly the teams, um, and also uh, our fans. And we're now also the third most watched sport on the Fox Sports platform. So the sport is building, the sport is growing, and the sport is in, in very good health. And and we want to see that continue, obviously, as we go forward into seventeen and beyond. So how do you how do you use those building blocks as stepping stones? Well, we just keep going. So we, we obviously we've got uh, most of those announcements were made this year, to, but they actually have a true effect into the next year, in 2017 and, and forward. Um, the naming rights partner goes forward with us. We've obviously got the future events going forward. And, and in, when we're talking renewals, they're five, six, in some cases, ten years out. Uh, we also have Simona Diesel Silvestro joining us next year, the first female full-time driver in many years. And to have a, have a globally recognised top female driver elect to join a series, that's a very positive and we're already well regarded internationally we've got a great fan base internationally but she'll add another dimension from a focus from an international audience point of view and an international motorsport point of view Simona, does she then really allow you to spread to a wider demographic in Australian marketing because very well known internationally but probably not as well known here yeah, no, but I think having having a female driver on the grid, it's uh, of merit too, which I think is very important. Uh, she'll mix it up with the guys. It'll it'll create another dimension which we haven't seen for a long period of time, and with that will come obviously greater exposure, greater interest. I'm sure from a, from a from a general general populist perspective. So we're very much looking forward to to her um, going head to head with the guys, which which. We have to again. We remind ourselves that motorsport is only next to horse racing. It's the only sport where where male and females can go head to head on the same playing field, so to speak. That is a very big point of difference. One thing that's uh, on the horizon: Kelvin O'Reilly is in the uh, in the back rooms now, trawling through the operations manual. What is Supercars' hope from Kelvin's work? 
Uh, sort of Kelvin, Kelvin's involved. Obviously, there's others involved too. But the, the project as such is really just streamlining the rulebook. You know, I think with the current, if you like, current rulebook has been added to, started, added to, added on, extensions done to it. You know, and I think it's it's become probably. Uh, and again, we look at continuous improvement. It's probably become a little bit unwieldy. So how do we make it more efficient, more understandable, more more efficient the way it operates and can be understood by everybody in the sport? And that's that's what that, the aim of that project. Supercars is a sports marketing company. It's an events company. It runs motor racing series. It runs television programming. What is the business, the whole gamut of the business, looking at diversification? The 12-hour was one. Concerts were another. Television programs for other people is another area, like the KL, um, what you were doing with the KL um, race, providing that television and media guys. How are those parts of the business being grown? It'll be much the same again. So all those all those aspects will be we focused on going forward. Uh, the biggest thing will probably be the, the Asian expansion. I think the, ex- the expansion beyond it being a national series to being a, a an Asia Pacific regional series uh, and focused championship that'll help us. And that expands all those all those aspects of our business will actually go offshore potentially. So it's, it's about doing doing the best we can for the sport, doing all those facets very well, and then looking at what other opportunities are beyond that. Motor racing and particularly circuit racing, is still test match cricket. It's played over three and four days. How do you look at the world that is embracing 2020 cricket, that's embracing much shorter forms of entertainment, and how do you deliver that, or how do you move the model to that? Yeah, it's, it's a, or do you have to move the model to that? I think we don't have to necessarily, but it's something which we are, we are consciously looking at. You know, we, we, we don't want to sit on our hands and go, OK, this is our sport and it has to stay the same forever. Uh, there is there is scope to look at okay what formats, what events we can do that are different to the norm. That is all under consideration at the moment. So there's nothing in the short term which we're going to announce, but but there is a lot of work being done behind the scenes on you know what could be the future options for the sport from a point of view of a of a, uh, a, a different model that could appeal to a different audience. What timeline do you need to work in? Because obviously uh, fashions change. If you're working on something that right now it seems like a two-hour package is what people are turning up for. How do you then go, we've got to move this whole ship to that direction if that's the direction you need to go? Is there a big lead time required for that? There is, because you want to do it right. You don't want to make a move, false move and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't work, doesn't pay off for the fans and doesn't pay off for the sport. But, but from our point of view, it doesn't have to, have to be two hours either. So you know, we have, we're one of the sports where we, do, we can attract fans for an eight-hour-plus per day. Uh, what else can we do in that space that can actually increase that interest? Uh, so it could be not necessarily a two-hour two-hour event, but could it be a, a component of that eight-hour event? Could be something which which either from a from a television audience point of view, a digital audience point of view, or an attending fan point of view could be done differently. So it's all those things have been looked at. Uh, nothing's off the table, but equally we want to make sure we do it right. If we if we do make a change, we do it for the right reasons rather than just a knee-jerk or something something speculative. We want to make sure it's well informed. I guess contracts being what they are, do say the television contract lock you into a requirement to have a certain amount of to produce a certain amount of televisable um, product. Yeah, the, obviously, like any like any broadcast agreement, there is a there's some deliverables in there we have to abide by. But also, there's working working with the likes of Fox and Network Ten. They're flexible enough to look at okay, what what other content can be done, what other flexibility can be done as far as formats and like. So they're they're very good partners of ours in looking at the future of the sport. So they they don't necessarily want it to stay the same either. 
um, they're with us on the fact of, of being able to move with us as we as we take the sport and secure the sport in the future. What's the this year was certainly a, a big focus on fans and getting people back to the track. The year before it was obviously about communicating the new television deal. The year before that, it, there was another focus of the year. What's the focus for 2017? Uh, there hasn't been a distinct focus, as you mentioned. I wouldn't say necessarily by year, but certainly for us, it's the, the improving the fan experience at our events and actually improving the fan experience through the broadcast which I think Fox have, have proven that they've done that and it's, just, it's about expanding the sport to more more fans in Australia and beyond Australia's borders Well Matt it's been a pleasure to catch up with you and I hope you have a good Christmas break and into the new year with what will be an exciting 26, uh, 2017 yeah, Great thanks Craig and same to you too Cheers After the break Charlie Swerkolt will join us the views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian title since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time, but we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Charlie Swalcott, uh, year one of Preston High Racing. How have you uh, how have you looked at it, and how do you assess what you've achieved? Um, look, we've achieved a massive amount. You know, last year, at the end of last year, we had nothing. All I had was basically an REC, and to put a team together in such a short period of time, I had no staff, no building, no car, nothing. And to put it all together, I think, uh, and racing a whole season, every race, has been a massive achievement. However, obviously, not a very good year. Um, started off okay and getting better, and then, of course, the big accident at Darwin. Rode a car off, but the most important, the worst thing, is obviously Lee's injuries with a uh, pelvis, three ribs, and and uh, right knee. What has been, in your eyes, the biggest accomplishment for what you've been able to put together and what the boys have been able to do? Obviously putting it all together. It, it, no one, I don't think anyone's done it. Marcus Marshall, Brighton, yeah. um, Greenfield, Paul Crookshank. There you go, from, from start. Mm. Everyone else has brought other teams and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's probably the biggest achievement, putting it all together. You look around now, what I've got. Um, also the biggest achievement it's probably all off track at the moment um, looking after all our partners we've got some incredible partners on the car they're really good, they've stuck with me and Preston High, Fuchs you know, all these, these great partners that I have and uh, Pulsar Watches you know, just re-signed for four years you know, uh, the fourth year so some really great achievements there that um, being able to keep it all together it's, 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 it's self-funding just you know, which is a big achievement as well so that's all really special and good uh, on track, yeah, we've had some, you know, four or five top tens, which is good. You know, we're punching above a weight when we get it all together. Um, so, yeah, there's plenty to take home and think, wow, we've, we've done a good job. So self-funding, is that including the capitalisation? No, Or that's all. just operating costs? No, just operating costs. Yeah, I've had to throw a fair bit of money in, which, you know, to, to get it all. Look at the transporter here and the, obviously a car and another car, unfortunately. So, yes, no, but it... it, it just wipes itself so that's all right so if you are operation cost covered what does that mean going forward for the 
the health and the viability of what you can add on because it's all about what else you can bring in, other knowledge, other parts, other, other trick bits and that sort of thing that makes you move up, move forward in the uh, grid. Yeah, obviously, well, performance and, and getting further up the field, our big thing at the moment is working out where we're going with uprights. There's a, there's a fair bit. We're on the old Mark 4s, then they went to a Mark 5, which weren't the most successful ones, and then there's a Mark 6, and now a Mark 6.5. So we, we want to catch up there and, and make that work, and that's a big investment just on its own. We'll wait to see where the tyres, what, what's the best upright for us and where we're going and there's a few other trick bits there as well that we need to invest in which we'll do obviously my goal is to get Lee in in top tens in every race and and I believe we can do that next year now that I've got the foundations built and we can build on that and make it all work. Sounds like it's not going to be a quiet Christmas for you because you've got a, a new race shop that you're preparing to move into. Yeah look pretty busy guy obviously with my Waverley forklift group you know we've got probably 100 staff and, and it's, a, it's a big operation a very special operation bringing the race shop under the one banner at Mount Waverley in Victoria will be special as well it'll ease my uh, travelling time etc all under one place and the resources that I have are, are fantastic so um, yeah, so we start to get the keys to the factory on January the 3rd and we can start moving setting it up and make a, uh, a statement as well for all our partners and uh, uh, as in sponsors on the car, so it'll be good. How important has the B2B relationships that you'd been nurturing through the other generations, the other iterations of Charlie Swercott Racing being now that it's your own shingle hanging over the door? Yeah, look, it's it was the only way to go for me, having my own team and all that sort of stuff, and and uh, um, I'm, I'm very good with... with um, Thank you. I'm very good at getting um, partners on the car. We've got a couple of new ones on board. But, yeah, those opportunities exist a lot better now with my forklift group and, and, uh, and um, other ways of going around things. So, yeah, no, it's, it's going well. And Preston Hire's commitment to next year? Yeah, they've, they've committed for the whole year. Nearly all the sponsors have all committed to stay on board. So changing shirts is not really a big thing. Um, they're, all, they're all the same, basically, I think, and, uh, which is really special. So, and some are, as I said before, four, and there's a, even a couple of five-year terms they've done with me. So, so that's, yeah, really special. Where is the sport now? You got in, um, was it seven years ago now? Maybe more? 08. 08 is when I burped the, the wreck. Yep. So we've seen the series have a, have a bit of a free fall. Where do you see us now, two years after the new television deal? You're looking at data and going and talking to people about the sport. Where are you saying it's at compared to your previous experiences? I think the sport's in good shape. I really do. There's there's a lot. You know, we're getting a return on our RECs now, which is great. Where three or four years ago we weren't, we were getting nothing. I think everyone was sceptical about the Fox Sport thing. Obviously, it's not a problem at all. We're getting more viewers now, and combined ten and Fox, it's really really working well. And if people do sign up to Fox, it's fantastic because it's a great great uh, show. So, so I think the sport's in really good shape. Um, uh, there's more partners coming on for, for supercars. Um, it'll be interesting to see where we go with the Gen 2 rules and all that in 18, if any other manufacturers or anything come on board. But I think uh, we're certainly heading the right direction. The governing body, I think, is doing a great job. As a team owner, you won a championship at the Sydney 500. What does it mean? What's the legacy going to be of the Homebush racetrack? Yeah, look, I'm... 
I'm sad it's going. This look at we're standing in this building. It's the most amazing building in you know you've ever been, and we'll never ever do this ever again in our in our lifetime. So it's it's really special, and and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be a shame. Um, but I understand uh, Newcastle is going to be really really good. I'm really excited about Newcastle. It's what the fans want, and. Um, and um, so, yeah, really excited about Newcastle. But, yeah, it would be sad to see this one go for sure. But uh, I enjoy it. Yes, won a championship here, and it's an incredible place. Tough. If you don't get it right, you're in a lot of trouble. But um, so, yeah, no. And what is, the, what is the goals you've put in place for 2017? Oh, look, we're going to get Lee up up the field you know we've got all the other parts of the team right and factory and staff and getting the culture right and all that sort of stuff our, our next thing is really on performance and getting Lee in the top 10 so our goal is to get Lee in you know the top 10 in you know in every race type of thing um, and that's our goal so hopefully we can achieve it it's the hardest gig in, in motorsport in the world but and uh, it's so competitive and uh, so hopefully we can uh, get there well, have a great Christmas. It sounds like January 3 is going to become manic for you and the team. Yeah, it will do. Thanks for that. My thanks to Charlie Swerkholt there. After the break, our first part of the extended interview with Stephen Chopping. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh, <laughs> thanks, thanks, everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be Inside a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Stephen Chopping, the role of a steward is uh, quite an interesting one and often maligned, I would suggest, with decisions being very much an interpretation of the situation and what is written down in black and white in the rule book. How, first of all, are you able to manage the, uh, manage the consistency of interpretation? Well, the situation is that stewards have got responsibilities that go beyond determining whether someone's in breach of the rules or not and imposing penalties. <clears throat> stewards are um, charged with the responsibility of overseeing any event that doesn't matter whether it's a motor car, a touring assembly or a Grand Prix uh, for Formula One cars. The stewards have always got the ultimate authority to ensure that it's run safely, fairly and in accordance with the um, uh, legislation uh, and socially acceptably. Um, and then stewards don't make rules. They apply the rules that are given to them. In the case of V8 supercars, they've got this own separate operations manual. Formula One has its own um, sporting and technical regulations. Other categories have similar things. Overall, there's the um, International Sporting Code from the FIA, CAMS, NCRs, um, and uh, so it's a whole body of rules that's grown up over time, and um, all you can do is apply the rules that come and do it in a way that um, is as fair as possible to everybody remembering that if you're unduly 
uh, light, for instance, on one person, you're technically being too hard on the other people that suffered from the consequences. So it's always a balancing act, and it's a bit like the sentencing processes in courts. Um, you've got some experience that you draw on. Um, there's a, an accept, a range of acceptable penalties that um, are uh, imposed... Uh, and it's uh, silly to go outside something, give a penalty that's either too harsh or too light. And it's a matter of um, strike a fine balance between uh, those uh, ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you're a CAMS official. You're working under the auspices of CAMS being the representative of the FIA in Australia. Yes. You're officiating a Supercars of Australia event. Where does the line drawn between... Supercars' involvement with stewards and your role as a CAM steward. Where is there a demarcation between you and the organising body or the promoter? CAMS has got the responsibility as the National Sporting Authority, the ASN for Australia, to uh, control all FIA-authorised motorsport in Australia. If we look at the hierarchy, the FIA is uh, uh, recognised by the United Nations as having control of motorsport activities worldwide. The FIA has given its powers to CAMS as the National Sporting Authority, the ASN, in Australia to run FIA-authorised events. Um, Some years ago, 1997, CAMS had an agreement with V8 Supercars. At that stage, it was uh, V8 Supercars and Tiga to uh, uh, authorise V8 Supercar Company to conduct V8 Supercar Racing. Part of that agreement uh, has CAM still providing, amongst other things, the judicial structure um, so that although the rules in the operations manual are slightly different from the FIA procedures or the CAMS procedures, they are undertaken by, an in, by CAMS representatives independently. So we're appointed by CAMS, we're not appointed by V8 Supercars. Um, if anybody's got control of us, it's CAMS rather than V8 Supercars. But, of course, the responsibility is to uh, uh, conduct the sport in a way which is appropriate for the category. And uh, so, yes, we apply the general policies of um, V8 Supercars except when they're in conflict with um, anything else and haven't come across that at this stage. The opinion of the stewards as to driving standards is largely the opinion of the uh, DSO, who's the driving standards uh, um, official that's appointed by V8 Supercars, and so he's the one who gives us the consistency of um, what's acceptable or unacceptable as driving conduct. And we then, um, using a range of penalties that are recommended minimum penalties from um, V8 supercars, we apply those. There's recommended minimum penalties in every category, so simply to have recommended penalties of that nature isn't an interference by V8 supercars, but we undertake it separately from and not in conjunction in any way with V8 supercars. We apply the rules that are given to us. Um, and uh, we apply them in a way that we see as safe, fair and socially responsible, as I said. There are times that the rules don't cover the situation and then the stewards have got an authority to to determine what should happen, what's just and reasonable in the circumstances. The rule might say one thing and another rule might say something else. There's sometimes things that fall through the cracks in between and we then make a responsible decision in relation to what applies. So uh, at times we have to make decisions that 
really are in the interest of fairness rather than say it's rule A, B or C and um, so that's simply um, one of the factors of motorsports, one of the things that makes motorsport so good. You know, I've been doing this for a long time and there is still it's still a rare race meeting that something doesn't happen that um, you haven't come across before and you need to exercise your mind and that's part of, that's part of the enjoyment that I get from, from motorsport. I love the people, I love the cars, I love the competition, but the, the whole process together and the dynamism of the whole sport is just something that keeps me going. When we see that Supercars is uh, undertaking a review of their rule book, a top-to-tail uh, review, and Kelvin O'Reilly, a very experienced motorsport person, is undertaking that review, how much input do they get from CAMS as to what they want to put in their rule book being in perhaps conflict with what the FIA would think is the acceptable laws of racing? Ultimately, the V8 Supercars rules are approved by the FIA. It's an FIA-recognised championship, so the rules come from V8 Supercars through CAMS and are sent to the FIA for approval. If it's contrary to what the FIA wants or thinks is appropriate, I'm sure that the answer will come back from Paris. Um, uh, We just put a blue line through that. Will you please start again or do it differently? But there is good close cooperation and a good working relationship between senior CAMS personnel and V8 supercars in the uh, framing of the regulations. With the driver's standards observer, in some motorsport categories like Formula One, the driving standards observer is a steward. I don't know that that is the case here in supercars. How big a difference is it to have a driving standards observer who is also a full accredited steward at a meeting compared to what we have here? Working in Formula One, the the driver steward is a full steward. The fact that he comes from a history of a driver gives him advantage and knowledge in in other areas apart from the more experienced international stewards. And um, he becomes fully involved in all the stewards' decisions, the track inspection, the track familiarisation, the consideration of other aspects of it apart from driving standards. Um, And I've come across uh, wonderful people like Tom Christensen, Emanuele Pirro, um, Derek Warwick, a whole range of people. They've learnt from what we've had as experience as stewards in terms of their their thoughts about the sport and in turn I've learnt from them and from people like Thomas, Bargs, um, McConkie uh, as DSOs about the uh, the driving aspect of it so that now I can read data I can do all sorts of stuff that um, years ago you'd only dream about and um, it's all a learning curve for everybody that's involved. He, in Australia we don't have the DSOs for the various categories as stewards they are really, um, I liken it to the stewards expert witness to give an opinion about what's acceptable or isn't acceptable in terms of driving standard would it be advantageous if supercars was to move towards a DSO steward? Oh, on the basis that stewards are volunteers, um, and I suspect that DSOs and IOs are paid, um, there, there might be a financial advantage to it, and, uh, but it wouldn't really mean that we'd work, we'd work much more closely than we do now, but I don't think it would get a different outcome. Alan Jones has always jokingly said to me, I... Uh, I find it funny that they keep asking me to be a steward, but I guess when you spent so much time in the stewards' room, they figure you know what's going to be uh, it's all about. Do you find, uh, when you've worked with so many different drivers uh, around the world, 
you have a lot of those experiences that when they do come up to be a DSO or to be a steward, they have that funny feeling about when they've been in the uh, headmaster's office on the other side of the table? Yeah, the good old expression about the poacher turned gamekeeper is um, comes to mind, and uh, I've been there when I've had stewards that have said to um, said to drivers, you know, this was this was this just not on. We might have got away with it in our day, but you can't do it these days. You know, this is 2016 or whatever. Um, and and equally, I've had. And Mark Webber was was good for it, saying to the driver steward after he'd just been um, found to have breached one rule or another, and that wasn't a very common occurrence. He'd just say, oh, "It was different in your day." Um, and so there's a there's a bit of two way, and always there seems to be a good relationship between the driver steward and the competitors because they've all they're all experienced. Um, drivers, they've all earned their own uh, uh, reputations previously, and and they're not people that you just think, hey, we just drove got some fellow off the off the the um, out of the paddock who happened to at one stage driven a racing car. These are pretty experienced people, and uh, it's been amazing to be able to work with some some people that have won hundreds of Grand Prix. We'll take a break now on Inside Supercars More with Stephen Chopping right after this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It's always great to catch up with Stephen Chopping. Here's part two of our extended interview. You have also been the steward, the FIA steward of the year, which is a world acknowledgement of your efforts. What would you say to someone who's thinking about being an official um, with the immense experience you've had? What would you say to them uh, when they're starting out or when they're thinking about starting out? What we do in Australia is world standard. You know, we've, Australian officials have trained Bahrain, they've trained in um, um, Baku, they've changed in, trained in Korea, um, Singapore. What we do here is as good as anywhere in the world, and I'd like people to do the best that they could uh, at one stage in part of the preparation of the uh, CAM 60 Years of Motorsport um, there was a small bit written about me and I think Peter McKay was the was the author and he said to me was it easier or harder coming from a small place like Tasmania and I said I think it's easier because it's easier to get through the, the, the layers of the sport um, and that's not to say that you trample on people on the way up but um, I never ever thought that I could do when I started as a timekeeper at Baskerville at 12 years old and um, in first year high school that I'd ever do anything like that, you know, that I'd sit at a table and have dinner with Fangio, who's my absolute hero, uh, and, and be, uh, be on um, first name terms with people who are absolutely wonderful people. Uh, go for it. You know, the, the opportunity's there. Uh, we're always looking for people who um, are um, skilled, uh, willing to uh, to learn and who are able to devote the time and effort to it. It's um, it's just been wonderful for me, and I don't think I don't think I regret any minute of it. In your professional career, you are a, a 
a lawyer, a solicitor, barrister. Barrister and solicitor, yes. Yes. We have a fused profession in Tasmania, so I do some of the office work, but mostly court work. Mm. Do you think that being an official as a youngster drew you to that... Or is uh, you think it just you always, naturally were always drawn to the law? I always wanted to be a lawyer. The only other thing that I can ever think of, if anybody ever asked me what did I ever want to do, was be a destroyer captain in the Navy. But from when I was, I reckon, 10 or 11 years old, all I wanted to do was be a lawyer. Mm-hmm. I had the support of my parents. Nobody in the family had any professional career or anything else. And I was lucky to be a person of the times that was able to do that and grow with Australian motorsport as we grew into running things like World Rally Championships, Grand Prix, um, and uh, doing stuff that's, as I said before, as good as anywhere in the world. Do you think that that sort of background lends itself better to stewarding than other professional careers, or do you think uh, anyone that's got a logical way of approaching things will make a good steward? Well, I like to think that my old man left school at the end of um, second year high school because the war interfered with um, him uh, staying at school and he had to run an orchard, um, uh, was, was an extremely good steward. And uh, he had experience, compassion, uh, sporting background. I don't think you need to be a lawyer. Um, if we look at the three of us this meeting, um, I'm a lawyer. Steve's in uh, retail and um, John Lee's in event management. Uh, We've got a couple of um, V8 stewards, um, Chris McMahon, Matt Selly, who are lawyers. Otherwise, the people we use aren't lawyers, so you don't have to be a lawyer to do this job. But it helps. (laughs) Well... To a degree, it helps because it takes away the um, the desire to um, slash your wrists or something. No, no disrespect intended to anybody. At the, sometimes at the end of the week, I really am glad I don't drink. You might not want to answer this, but is there a driver when he when you know he's coming up to you, you just go, "This one's going to be tough again." Yep, <laughs> there's been two, and they know they were they were it. One was Larry Perkins and the other was Paul Morris. And I got the highest regard for both of them. In fact, when I was racing, my, I bought a Formula Ford, which was the Larry Perkins car. So I had an affinity for, for Larry all the way along, and he did wonderful stuff. But he was an argumentative bastard, and Paul Morris was exactly the same. But they both had tremendous skills. And, like, who would think that Paul Morris, who from time to time you'd think was a bit of a buffoon... Was goes out and from the back row of the grid with Chas Most at Wins Bathurst, and the year before had kept um, his driver under control so that they finished well up. They are, yes, they were argumentative, they were a challenge, um, but um, it was a challenge that I think we both enjoyed, all three of us from time to time. Is there any driver that has never sat on the opposite side of the table? I'd be surprised that. Um, Quite often, very few drivers... There are some drivers that you just never see. They're never involved in incidents as receiving. They're never ones who dish it out. And I reckon... Well, it's been said that 95% of the criminal offences are committed by 5% of the population. It's probably not 95 and 5, but it might be something like 60-40. I reckon there's 60% of the, of the, of the V8 field that I've never seen in a steward's room on one side or another. That's pretty amazing when you consider the nature of uh, what this racing is. 
when you get a field that's less than a second from firstest, from f- fastest, firstest to lastest um, in uh, in qualifying, it, it is. It's it's super close competition, and uh, it just speaks volumes for the one the respect that they have for each other and their ability, and. It's the the respect is something that we try and engender between competitors, and I remember that um, when um, Alex Prima came, he said that the one thing that impressed him in this category was the drivers had some respect for each other. He came from categories I think where um, you know there was a lot less respect from uh, some competitors towards others. That's, um, and I don't think that there's any driver that I wouldn't like to spend time talking to because they're all wonderful in their own way mm. just not too often across from the table because they've done something wrong yeah that's right you know i'd happily walk up and down the uh, down pit lane talk to anybody because i could i'd love to talk cars and competition and racing and the technicalities and the and the small bits that make the difference and um you know i've done uh, for the last three years the off-road championship and they whenever um they couldn't find me for some stewarding decision that they wanted. They always said, oh, he's off playing racing cars again. So uh, I was um, underneath some off-road car marvelling at what they could do too. So, Ultimately, when Kelvin's finished the rewrite of the rule book, do you think it is going to make a steward's job, a driving standards observer, an IPO's job easier or is it never get easier because sport just gets more and more complex as we go? It's a dynamic sport, gets more and more complex. You've got lots of minds trying to wangle their way through and around a myriad of regulations. But um, Kelvin was involved through TIGA and the uh, framing of the initial V8 uh, operations manual and uh, there have been some lessons learned over time. I expect that we'll get something that may not be easier, but it might be easier to work with for everybody. Do you feel there's a situation where there's a lot of rules for rules in the book, where something's happened and the original rule had to be had to have another rule put on top of it, and is that a big area that will make it, uh, make it a lot easier for stewarding? Well, I liken the V8 operations manual to tiles because they seem to have rules for circumstances and the rules don't have fuzzy edges and it's a tile here and a tile there and there's little cracks in between. Now, the cracks might be very wide, but every now and then something wants to fall down through the cracks. Um, It'd be easier with more general regulations. The Europeans write what they call codes rather than specific black and white rules and codes that are are capable of an interpretation... uh, are easier to, to use than, than the straight tiles type approach. But um, uh, what often happens, and we find it in the law as well, when someone finds a loophole, they put a patch over it, and the patch quite often covers more than it was originally intended and has unintended consequences. So fuzzy-edged rules are th- the easier to work with as a steward than, than strict rules, but, of course, that depends on the interpretation. And a person who picks up a rule book that's got less specific regulations has more trouble determining what's right or wrong. Stephen, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you and uh, we hope you have a great Christmas down there on the Apple Isle. I will do. Thank you very much. Thanks, Greg. It's, um, it's a pleasure to be involved in the sport and the people that are involved in it at, at all levels. And I've had a great time and I'll keep on doing it. Thank you. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. 
Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.